Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this episode of Diary of an Age Grouper, we talk to Matt Kerr. Matt was the Ironman Age Group World Champion in St. George in 2022. He walks us through his steady progression as an athlete and the evolutions he and his coach have made over the years, which have led to multiple age group course records and ultimately making the jump to pro racing in 2023. We also touch on weekly training structure, some of his go-to sessions, pro versus age group racing, and the value of coaching. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time today, Matt. Let's jump straight in. You've just completed your first couple of pro races. Can you tell us one or two biggest differences between age group and pro racing? And then maybe add in a couple of couple of the not so obvious ones. Hey, mate. Hey, uh, thanks firstly for having me on. And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to, to be on. So yes, straight into it. Um, the difference between uh, pro and age group, I mean, I've really only had two pro races um, and, you know, multiple age group races. I think um, just the, the pre- there's definitely pressure, you know, um, lining up there um, with some, some pretty big names either side of your shoulders um, is you definitely feel an element of, of being, um, you know, I feel privileged to be standing on the start line next to a lot of those those athletes that, as an age grouper, I aspire to, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm actually up against and racing toe to toe with them on on the day. So um, there's definitely that aspect. Um, for me, being a new pro, I think I also take the the mindset that actually I've just I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain in that respect. Um, you know, it can be quite daunting standing there. Um, sort of self-guessing or, or wondering whether you, you've got what it takes to be out there, but in fact, um, just really I need to commit or the, that's sort of the mentality I have standing on that start line and, and through, through many parts of the race as a pro is, is commit, believe in, in what I can do and believe in my ability that it's, that's good, enough, good enough to withstand um, and be in amongst the, the other pros that I'm racing. So um you know we we get the privilege of having clear roads which is uh quite often not what you get in age group racing so there's that element to it which is which is fantastic and and also the the element of probably you're racing against um a lot of other athletes that you're going to be with nine times out of ten for most of the day so you do get to swim swim with guys of of the same ability and and use a bit of a draft effect there which typically in age group racing you don't usually get or um you think you're swimming well but actually you get out of the water and you probably haven't swum as 
as fast as what you'd wanted to and then then in the bike you can you can there's a bit of strategy around that as well rather than just going out and, and riding your numbers you're kind of racing uh racing the race live um so that's all pretty exciting um you know and that that's kind of where i see the the, the difference between age group racing and, and pro racing out there on the course Yep, and was there anything that took you by surprise that you kind of weren't expecting when you made the transition from age group to pro? Um, yeah, I, I guess you just need to make the most of every opportunity that's presented to you there. And and I've had many cases, or not many, but I've had a few few cases where you you, you just got to make a decision, and and that decision could be could be the right or wrong decision. Um, when I was racing age group, um, th- there were a few races that, you know, you, we could actually jump into the, the elite field, um, not necessarily Ironman branded events, but uh, so you get some exposure there to racing against some of those pros and there's some decisions there and it's, it's happened in the last couple of races as well where we just, you need to make a call um, around do you go with a particular athlete that comes through that's riding significantly higher power? Uh, what are the outcomes? What are the risks of, of doing so? Or, or do you not do that? Do you ride your own numbers? Um, so I guess the, the sort of the controversial decision-making uh, that needs to be made on the fly is, is definitely a thing. And, uh, and I think that that's probably more, more prominent in, in the pro racing than it is in the age group racing. And, you know, it's something that, I'm learning. It's it's something that you sort of reflect on pretty heavily after a race, um, and some decisions like that are, are definitely event changing uh, in terms of the outcomes of what you get at the end of your race. Um, but yeah, it's it's just something that comes with the experience, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I guess in the pro field your it's the racing dynamics as opposed to in the age group field where it's more likely to be a train all day type scenario and then i guess there's a skill acquisition to that and and learning what moves to go with what move you know mike might make the race or might actually be to your individual performance detriment a hundred percent yeah i mean it can either it's either going to change the race for you or, or change it for someone else if that makes sense you know um and speaking to that it's you know, you could have a massive win out of it and uh, it could could see you finish uh, further up the field or or in in the likely un, unlikely scenario actually ruin your day in, in some, some respects. So, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Now, some people might not know, but you were actually an age group Ironman world champion back in 2022. And I definitely want to get into what it takes but before we get to that let's start from when you got into the sport because as far as i know you haven't actually been in the sport for that long so start with what brought you to triathlon and why yeah um fair commentary around not being in the sport uh too long i mean i wish i would have loved to have been in the sport longer than what i have um but um you know going winding back a little bit i did my first uh semi point three in the end of 2018 so um kiwi from new zealand and and raced the the talpa race in december so that was my first um half distance and i think i went like four 
428 or something. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't, I was new to the bike. That was, I hadn't been on a bike before. I'd, I'd ridden, um, probably started riding maybe July of that year. Um, so many months before that race. And that was kind of, that was my first introduction to, to road riding essentially in any form. Um, as for the swim and run background, um, I come from water polo background through school. Uh, so swimming was definitely, um, I'd had some experience with that and um, also heavily involved in surf life saving. So the swimming was, was definitely there um, and the running was, you know, here or there. I wasn't a competitive runner, um, but it did cross country through school and, um, but never really took it any further than that. So um, my coach actually had his former pro back in his, his days. He had a couple of bikes lying around and uh, we just got chatting one day and sort of he handed these two bikes off to me. He said, right, this one's going on the trainer and this one you can ride on the road. They're both TT bikes. And I guess from from that point on, um, he sort of just coats me into um, getting some time on the bike, learning how to ride. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of put the three together across that space leading into uh, what was my first 70.3 in 2018. And then... Um, spent sort of the month of you know end of December January February uh training for my first Ironman which was in March 2019 in New Zealand um which I went 9.20 at there um so that was really the introduction to to triathlon for me essentially being half distance and full and those are my first races and then from that point onwards um i yeah raced age group and stayed age group from that point until uh pretty much the start of this year where where i made a move into to racing pro and you know i i have very valid reasons as to why i stayed age group or an age group athlete for that period of time you know a lot of people will argue that it was too long or that you should have been racing pro um sooner my times were up there and you know in in many cases um i was chasing the pro field that had started you know however many minutes they start before um before the age group is that was that was kind of where i got to at the end of my age group racing um but as I say, I had reasons for doing so, and and um, yeah, it was a fantastic time. Learned heaps, and and essentially what has allowed me to transition to to racing pro now. And do you remember what the catalyst was for entering that first seventy point three back in December twenty eighteen? Yeah, it was uh, it was to put to the test of uh, all, you know, wasn't a long period at all, but this this training that I that I done through the winter months of you know being on a bike and something that was new to me and and really just test out to see where things things actually fell in an event um and I, I think you know if I reflect now that that's kind of that's we what why we train right is we put all this training in and then we, and we kind of want to test it out and um that still stands to today 
to my racing for today and and it was definitely a thing back then as well um you know although the volume was nowhere near as high as what i'm doing at the moment or or even through the latter part of my age group racing it was still an opportunity to put down um an event or a race where i'd where i'd invested some time particularly in this this new sport that i was discovering and just to see where i i fell in the event and and where i landed against other people and how competitive i was so um yeah that was definitely you know um what allowed me to to get to that race and then that was just i saw that as a stepping stone to to moving forward so it sounds like it was a bit of a a bit of a personal challenge and rather than enter the race and then start training you'd started training and you thought right i'm going to try and put this to the test and and see how i stack up in this endurance event and um then you know obviously got hooked as they say and then pretty quickly progressed into racing that ironman obviously pretty handy handy first time 70.3 and first time ironman with 428 and 920 respectively do you remember what a typical training week was for you back then? Um, you know, like the leading into that 70 point through, it was really about just finding my feet and and I, I couldn't list exactly what, what a training week would look like. I was working full time. Um, it was a matter of just getting some volume in around, you know, actually how do you, how do you ride one of these bikes um, and, and actually learning to say run off off a bike session um but you know i think we we gained a lot of confidence from from doing that first 70.3 and what was deemed in the whole triathlon space of sport to um going through and training properly for what was my first ironman you know um, i took kind of a low carb approach well i did take a low carb approach through that and uh the training was a lot more structured a lot more specific and and that training particularly week by week i i can recall very well as to what that looked like um you know it was all about gaining on, on the bike it was about getting volume and progressively across a number of weeks before before that race um training appropriately to the nutritional intake that i was i was um on at the time which was a a low carb approach um and it was getting time on the bike whereas in same with the run really it was about finding time on my feet um in a low aerobic energy zone um that i could sustain actually the period of time to be out there for, for nine and a bit hours uh where i wasn't having to um you know where i wasn't having to um supplement you know the the fact of actually losing energy uh therefore i had to to drop my intensity throughout the race and, and drop power and drop pace etc so it was it was just a matter of uh fueling correctly through that time so was going to the low carb approach was that a big change for you and second to that did you can you recall any training sessions where you got it wrong and you you re- were really low on energy um it you know like i wasn't if i reflect i wasn't a poor i was eating reasonably well before that to be honest i was i come from a bit of a crossfit background so i guess at that point in time it was more of like the paleo approach um and moving into you know an ultra or like an endurance event of of an ironman um i needed the fuel for that that time to be sustainable so 
um, it took a pretty brutal and ruthless approach to start with of, of just going almost um, a very, very low carb um, intake. And I mean, that was coupled very well with the training that I was doing around, it was all zone two low aerobic stuff. Um, but those first sort of two weeks of that phase were, were, were definitely, um, yeah, they were hard. They were definitely hard. I mean, um, I had the guidance of my coach, which was, he was, he's, you know, an expert in that field. So he helped me through that period. And, you know, we didn't have training sessions that were, um, you know, unreasonable or or not going to be achieved. They were they had to be low zone two training to to supplement and, and accommodate for the nutritional um, you know intake that I was having at that time. So when we say did I get anything wrong, um, I definitely felt the the repercussions and implications of the diet that I was on at that point in time. But um, it was all um, you know, it was it was pretty well uh, under wraps with what I was doing nutritionally. Then moving, you mentioned lessons from that seventy point three, and that helped guide your your training for the your first Ironman a few months mm-hmm. later. Can you maybe share two or three of the big things that you worked on there, and what you learned from preparing for and then completing that seventy point three that you took into preparation for your first Ironman? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, the important things that we noted going into an Ironman was actually lasting the distance. Um, and, you know, I would, I'd be fasting a lot of my sessions. Um, if I compare that to now, um, that's not always or necessarily the case. But in those early, early stages for me, you know, I'm new in the sport. I didn't have that um endurance background i didn't have the ability to be aerobically efficient so um that was a massive step that i had to take in those early days was to try and get some endurance base and and to do that um some of these guys have got like 15 years of or 10 or 15 years of endurance base on them and and i didn't have that so um that's kind of the approach we took is is long fasted trainings um both on the on the running side of things and and on the bike but it had to be had to be a progressional stage over time if that makes sense so um you know like i would get to i get to a long ride which would you know be five and a half six hours and at the end of that i'd I'd be comfortably fasted through that whole session but i knew you know in the week one of that I, I couldn't achieve that um it might have started out with a 90 minute fasted ride and then the week two it could have been two hours week three and just slowly build that up to to getting to that say six six hour fasted ride um but yeah the, the key there is was progression so that was your bike and run where you don't have much of a background what about the swimming with your background in polo water polo did you was there a bit more intensity in your in your swim sessions and can you give us an example of one perhaps yeah for sure i mean the swimming at that point i knew i was pretty safe with um when i say safe like you know a lot of people that come into triathlon that are new this the swimming is new so there's a technical element to learn there um i felt i was fortunate enough that i had that 
Um, so the swim was definitely a volume thing more than an intensity thing, if that makes sense. Um, so what I was kind of doing through that time is just keeping the volume up and actually learning to um, say run. I, I knew and I can uh, recall specifically through that, that block is I'd have a long swim one day and then I'd go straight into my long run uh, off that. So it was, it was almost just get it using that as a bit of a uh, pre-tool before, let's say the long run to, to get some fatigue in there uh, and then going into to my long run. But it wasn't necessarily intensity that I was using as a, as a principle to, to try and get fitter or faster. Um, we we're just using that as a, a again, aerobic tool to, to help build the base and also, um, like I said, put it in uh, before that long run. Okay, before we move on, doing first 70.3 or first Ironman is obviously quite relatable. So do you have any tips for people at that point in their journey? And as part of this, is it, are there any big mistakes that you made or have you seen others make that you would um, encourage people to try and avoid? Um, you know, like things of, let's see, I mean, there's so much that, that, I've, that I've kind of learned and, and recalling right back to your first, um first Ironman first 70.3 I mean nothing can take that away from from the athlete that is com- completing that you know um there will never be another first time Ironman for me and and that was I still recall that day it was pretty special and and I reflect on it now and go the performance at that point in time was as good as I was going to get. I think it's just, you know, if I look at the build-up that I had to that, it was really about being, um, yeah, adding progress across the number of weeks that I had, um, that I had to play with. And, you know, whether it's a eight or nine or 12-week block for someone, um, there has to be measurable progress across that time. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a point A and a point B and you do want to see the, the graph get larger between point A and point B over the over, over time, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, it's as I say, nothing will take away those first races for you. They're all pretty special. And then, um, unfortunately, we go back and reflect – pretty quickly uh what can we do different and how can we get better and faster and that that leads us to race number two three four etc so um yeah so any any mistakes that you you made or you've seen others make or are you saying that the mistake is to not enjoy and just embrace the fact that it's your first one and you've done something special and never going to do your your first one again yeah absolutely like i i I truly think you um, you know, dialing everything into training and putting everything into training is is really key. And um, you know, a lot of people go into their first or come out of their first, sorry, and they might have had commentary around, oh, they had, you know, GI issues or they had upset stomachs or anything. But I I, I think like that's what training's for. You know, you kind of want to eliminate that risk on race day and not have to uh, rely on race day as being a a tester. You want the training to be the tester, you know. So you wanna you wanna train and you wanna practice and you wanna trial different things in training. So you get to race day and go, 
this is my nutrition. I've got confidence that it works. I've tried it in training and that's what I'm going to do. So you're eliminating that barrier of getting to race day and it being a 50-50 call as to whether it's going to work or not. Um, so I really think using training for that purpose um, and along with many other variables, the nutrition thing is just one example. But um, yeah, I think using training is is for that kind of thing is is huge yeah that's a great tip i think very very good tip not leaving anything up to to race day and not going into race day going oh, i hope this works you're actually going in with a strategy that you have tried and tested and you've got confidence in and then you can just go and make the most out of the day so yeah and i, th- I think that goes the same with like all your equipment as well you know um you know also comes down to everything you've got on your bike do you know how it all functions or are you just going to chuck it on the day before and, and hope you know so yeah, um, yeah. eliminating the hope and and um yeah just being certain eliminate the hope that's a that's a very good very good tip <laughs> should write it on the wall put it up on the wall i think now that's a good one um so when did you realize you were getting quite good at what you were doing and then uh, at that point like did, did anything change or shift for you or was it just about continuing to see that progress so first 70.3 pretty good uh got to be happy with that all right now we want to try and prepare for an Ironman we'll take some of the things we learned from this 70.3 and the preparation for the 70.3 make sure we're adequately prepared go a 920 not bad for your first go at it inside eight months of starting the sport so is was that the point where you guys started to to realize hey we're you know, we're, we're doing quite well at this. Let's keep going. Or was there another point in time that re, that you recall where it was a bit of a, a bit of a shift in your mindset? Um, I think the constant reflection out of coming out of races is was really the the driver of trying to be better all round. You know. Um, you might have gone and achieved a bunch of goals in that last race, which is fantastic. And it got you X amount of minutes, which is fantastic. But uh, what about if we did this, 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 and this, or um, training is going to look slightly different because it's not all about building in a, you know, the aerobic races base is not, um is fundamental now we've got an element of that but now we can start to sprinkle in a little bit more intensity through through some of that uh training so it was really just about um yeah i guess building on what we've got um and trying to be better than what we were if that makes sense yeah it does it does so was there a point in time where you moved away from those time-based goals and as you said making a change and then seeing how many minutes you could gain on race day and then shifted to okay i want to be on the podium in my my age group or i want to win the win my age group or maybe even win the overall amateur race you mentioned earlier chasing some of the pros as well was you know when did that kind of process start and and you know can you talk us through a little bit of your mindset and, and your approach not only to training but racing around that time yeah, it's a funny one. It's like, um, you know, for me, it wasn't all about going out there and being number one, whether that was number one in your age group or number one overall. Um, it was 
it was more about and and I've talked to this um, multiple times before. It was more around setting personal goals um, and achieving those. And if I achieved those within a race, uh, that was a successful race for me. And wherever that would land me within my age group on the podium overall um, or anywhere on the course, then so be it. You know, if there was a person that was going to beat me, uh, they were always going to beat me and I achieved my goals, then that was always the case, if that makes sense. So um, it was more around the personal, the personal goals that we were setting ourselves um, and, and they filtered down into multiple different goals within the race, right? So we quite often reflect on, I'd have a hierarchy of goals that I'd go into a race and particularly when I was racing age group. And some of these are still extremely relevant to me racing pro at the moment. And I'd always start with, um, the first one would be to make the start line of a race. That would be the first goal. The second goal would be to finish. Um, and then below those two goals, you might have three or four, three or four other goals that um, encapsulate the actual race itself. So um, I might want to, um, you know, I need to ride at 280 watts, and that was a goal. And if I did that, that's I, I deem that as a successful um, bike leg for me. And um, you know, then I wanted to run X amount of you know, pace for, for, for the run. And if I did that, that was successful for me. And, and where that would put me in terms of ranking with other competitors, um, then that would where that's where it would put me. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I talked briefly to that as we opened this podcast around actually racing live and, and pro racing. And that, that, that's very different because you need to be adaptable. But um, I think for the age group racing, that's kind of, where I sat on things and um, that did help us uh, progress as, or that helped me progress as an athlete, as an age group athlete, you know, um, and set those goals um, in the different races that I was going into. Yeah, that all makes sense. So talk to us a little bit about you doing, you know, the time period between doing your first Ironman in March, 2019 through to when you started to prepare or maybe when you qualified and then you were preparing for St. George. So not going to St. George just yet, but just talking about that period from first Ironman and then the next couple of years of fo that followed. And you've already talked about, you know, it was just about being process driven and finding improvements for yourself. Um, and then just where that landed you in the overall field, uh, you took that as a, as a bit of a bonus. So can you recall, you know, your training schedule, any standout sessions, any standout races, uh, were you following a typical weekly template, all those sorts of things for the, for the next couple of years. So you've initiated yourself with the sport, um, you're ingrained in it, you're a dedicated age group triathlete, and there's obviously a couple of years between uh, this point in time and, you know, when you went over to St. George, which will be what we talk about next. Yeah, um, I mean... Those those time that time was was just gold really, and I, I reflect on it, and it's like I was working as uh, school teacher, so I'd work ten weeks, and then you get two weeks school holidays, and that was really a epic two week training block, um, <laughs> which you could which you could uh, really pump 
pumped some more hours into your training, which was awesome. Um, so, but yeah, I think the, the just the addiction of of becoming better and finding uh, different avenues to to try and be more efficient, more faster, um, and and just an all around better athlete. It, you just get deeper and deeper into it. Um, I was balancing work pretty well, um, and it wasn't until the latter years of of my age group racing where performance I was wanting more out of my performance, and and that started to come at the cost of um, wanting to dedicate more time into it. And I just couldn't find that time working between uh, full time job and and the performance aspect that I wanted out of the sport. Um, so, so, but fast or sorry, rewind back into that, that time of those two years, it was really about a sort of de- development phase of getting as much racing as I could. That was sensible enough um, that I could experiment with some of the practices that we were putting in place within training as well. Um and you know, I had a couple of races over in Australia, Sunshine Coast, and then uh, I think I went. I had my best Ironman performance um, in Taupo. I went eight twenty six as an age grouper, and took the course record there, and and a few other course records around the place um, as an age grouper, which just I guess solidified where we we're going and what I was doing um, around some of the processes that we were we were taking in training. Um, training was always, it wasn't necessarily a set structure or a set weekly structure. I mean, we'd have sort of blocks that we'd work towards and you got upcoming races, you'd prepare accordingly to those races um, with the relevant blocks that were needed before that. Um, but we kind of did things a little bit different to, to what most were doing. It was we almost called it that reverse periodization where um, you know your typical kind of sessions where you might be focusing on uh, let's say some VO2 work on the bike and um, you know some run technique things and a little bit more cross training that would fall outside of the pre-race blocks if that makes sense and then when it would come into I guess that six to ten week time before a race then things would get a little bit more specific and and focused specifically to to race prep but um yeah we kind of take the approach of doing things a little bit differently and not necessarily obscure but um I guess just different when that time wasn't needed and and i guess that's where we made a little bit of that a little bit of that gain to be honest is is in those times and and investing you know four weeks worth of vo2 work on the bike and then dropping that and then moving into some um more of some threshold race race style stuff when it was needed before the race um so yeah i mean if i reflect on the the initial ironman build that i did in my first ironman race to to what I did in that Ironman um, 826 in Taupo, um, things were very different, and and I I could I could never uh, execute that training block that I did at the 826 for for that 920 or whatever it was. You know, um, I only did that kind of training because I'd gone through three Ironman preps 
before that and we'd learned a whole bunch of things throughout those three and um then there was a time to drop some intensity into that 926 um block so yeah i guess it's just learning over time as well as um building up some experience within training yeah nice so just so we have an idea when you were working like during the school term what were your sort of weekly training hours then versus when you were on a in the school holidays and on a so-called training camp yeah um hours weren't huge during like during a you know school week for example i'd definitely be getting um probably more days of morning and nights in um but they're around work as well like like i couldn't give you exactly the hours but i'd come to i'd come to school holidays and if it was winter in new zealand uh duck over to straight uh, to sunshine coast and the hours would probably ramp up to you know 20 to 25 hours um or or even plus of that you know 28 hours within those that school holiday window but um we're pretty conservative around work and balance and um what was actually going on and you know it's got to there's got to also be that enjoyment factor of of kind of what you're doing too um you know rather than just waking up in the morning straight into a training session straight to work and then into another training session at home or, or wherever it may be after work and then repeat that for five days and then you get into your saturday and sunday sessions um you know there's got to be an enjoyment element out of that as well um so we we're pretty conservative on that front okay so let's before we get into st george specifically because i do want to spend a bit of time working through your preparation for that event and then the event itself let's just geek out on numbers a little bit um do you recall i just want to talk about personal best and progression from when you first started so we've got 428 as a baseline and 920 as a baseline um do you remember your swim bike run splits in that first race oh you're asking some good questions no not exactly i don't no i would have gone like i would have i would have gone i would have gone 53 53 in the swim um oh yeah i couldn't tell you my bike and i went maybe three did i go 325 i think on my run yeah okay not bad and then compare that to your 826 you remember the splits for that one uh it was like a 51 4 440 and a 3 was 310 yeah okay so that's on the same course isn't it that yeah, was they were course. both taupo yeah yeah and yeah. uh do you know how many age group course records you ended up with um, over the years yeah yeah like i think i've got ken's 70.3 ken's full um taupo uh what else wa oh i think i had wa until that went last year oh yes it did yes recently got Reece yeah. got that one clean that one up um yeah talpo um i think it's i think that's all i got yeah <laughs> pretty handy collection and uh i think there's a bunch of fastest age grouper overall if you're if you're taking the record so not bad and right. I, I liked what you said that it was providing validation for what you were doing so obviously it started as something that was really internal and about personal progression 
and then you're getting this out, outside validation from not necessarily winning the races or being on podiums, but yeah. also that you were that you were taking records. So let's now turn our attention to the St George preparation. Can you take us inside? You know, preparing for that race, including your swim, your bike, your run. Again, typical week of training, if you can recall. How long was that block? Where did you train? Who did you train with? All of those sorts of things. Got it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess that was that was pretty much. Like, let's just say just over twelve months ago, right? Uh, that was in May last year. So it was the it was held in twenty twenty two, but it was technically the Ironman twenty twenty one World Champs. Um, obviously, it wasn't held in Kona. It was they shifted it to St George, and um, so the start of last year 2022 um i was all registered for ironman new zealand which was set to run in march and yeah just go through a typical kiwi summer in january february and uh, i was prepping for, for ironman new zealand and um it was at the point where events were still definitely on the edge of actually going ahead with the whole COVID situation it was the latter end of it but um we got to I think it might have even been like three weeks out from the race so end of February and what I recall was yeah basically Ironman New Zealand got got called off because of COVID um which just seemed like craziness but it just was the way it was and um, I'd done quite a bit of prep to to get there and uh, for us Kiwi athletes or anyone else that was it was mainly Kiwis because it wasn't really open to internationals at that point in time uh, just to have that pulled out from under our feet with three weeks was uh, was pretty brutal and um, so following on from that um, yeah I guess what led me to St. George was um, I had a slot there at St. George and um, I was never going to go to St. George and race that race until Ironman New Zealand got cancelled. Um, so, you know, a week or so of thinking with, with this fitness that I'd had there at that point of time was like, okay, St. George could be on the cards and ended up committing to it. And um, yeah, the rest was kind of history in, in that respect. Um, so the focus was then shifted into St. George. Uh, I was working part-time at that point in time um, back at school in New Zealand. Uh, so I was working uh, just in like, I guess, term one there. And I think I was on for like four days a week at work. Uh, which was awesome because it allowed me a little bit of time to um, to train and uh, linked up with uh, Braden Curry earlier in the year and actually spent a bit of time down in Wanaka with him. And yeah, we, we sort of, I guess, in short, had um, we're both going into Ironman New Zealand, got flagged with that. And then uh, St. George was both on the cards for us at that point, um, as I say, went down to Wanaka and had some time with him. And that was, you know, like end of February, I think, uh, or sorry, uh, end of March and had a week or so down training with him. And, and we sort of scoped out 
that we're going to go to St George together and uh, we're going to have a bit of time in a place called Cedar City before that and do our final prep uh, for St George there and we're going to do it together so for me as an age grouper at that point in time you know the privilege of um, actually just getting into Wanaka with Brayden and spending some time there with his family and and training alongside him was huge Um, and yeah it was an amazing opportunity and um, very very lucky to have that and super lucky to have him be so accommodating and his family so accommodating of, of me to come in and and work alongside him or, or be alongside him. So, um, and yeah, basically saw out the rest of term one at school and, and just put some training into working towards um, St. George. And then um, him and I both departed out of New Zealand, I think about, it must have been about three weeks before the race. And um, yeah, from that point on, we basically did that, that whole stint together, uh, which, to me, I was just living the dream, to be honest. And, uh, you know, traveling into the States with uh, my New Zealand's best pros uh, to, to go and tackle this Ironman World Championship uh, was was pretty epic. So we went to um, a place called Cedar City and we spent about two weeks there, uh, which was slightly at altitude, very slightly. and um, finished off our training block there and and I kind of just we'd done our own training our own segregated training before that in the build-up to that and uh, we kind of just merged and and came on the same page and trained pretty much the same in Cedar City um swim bike and run mostly um mainly the same kind of swim and bike sessions and then um yeah we came down about four days before the race when i say down uh out of cedar city down to st george itself um back to sort of you know race uh, sea level as such and um yeah and then tackled the race from, from there so that was i guess that's a real brief sort of overview leading into st george um but yeah it was awesome yeah i bet it was was there anything specific that you did for the course and conditions? Yeah, like, I mean, as I mentioned, Cedar City is a little bit higher. So there was that altitude um, factor to consider. And, you know, I had the privilege of working in with um, Braden's coach at that point in time who had quite, who actually came on board uh, into Cedar City and came and live with us for for the time and he's super knowledgeable around um, <clears throat> you know where we we're doing our training sessions whether it be at altitude or, or down um, and there's quite a lot of thought given to you know just adapting day by literally day by day based on the responses that we're experiencing um, around everything of, of living at altitude whether it was sleep or whether it was and when I say altitude we weren't horrendously high um, but it was higher than normal for both of us and you know there was implications to that around lots of things of, of where we got that training done and and um, what what were the effects that were, were that training was having whether it be at altitude or low so we, we had the option of going down of St. George was only sort of 40 minutes down from Cedar City. So there'd be days that we'd actually do 
uh, our training down um, out of altitude and there'd be days that we'd stay up as well. We also obviously had, um, you know, we're on, got to be on the course, on the bike course, pretty much all of our riding, which was amazing. So it's, it was a pretty, uh, pretty hilly bike course and, and actually being out on that course with support and uh, having been Braden's coach at hand during that whole time uh, supporting us was was just phenomenal so um, yeah literally just living the pro-life as as an age group for, for that period of time was was phenomenal yeah that's definitely living the dream one of the world's best pros and on the other side of the world tra- full, full-time training camp leading into the world champs that's pretty pretty cool was there a series of sessions or a particular session that you did and afterwards you felt you just felt like you were ready to go and on the flip side of that question, was there anything that kind of went thro- wrong in that block? You know, talking specifically around that block, three weeks out from the race, that had you potentially doubting your ability uh, to perform at the level you wanted to? Oh yeah, to- yeah. I mean, I got on the plane leaving uh, leaving the states injured. <laughs> oh, uh, which yeah, yeah. So. Um, I, from memory, had Achilles uh, flare-up, so just um, some tendon inflammation, which, you know, I, which my running wasn't going amazing at that point in time because of that. So um, there was definitely uh, doubt around, you know, getting on the plane in a fit state. I knew I was as fit as I could be for for what I had going on, but... Um, how the next three weeks were going to play out was definitely um, a concern. Um, so, yeah, actually got into Cedar and and just gave it some time, let it settle down, and, and came back slowly. And it, it it actually came right over those that three week period. So um, it was super lucky and fortunate around that, which was which was awesome. So the running volume started to come back and, and we did that smartly and appropriately around the altitude stuff as well. So it wasn't super detrimental to to what we had going on. Um, but no, it was, it was pretty much a conservative build, to be honest, for those last three weeks. It was really that last three weeks was kind of the icing on the cake for, for the work that we put in, in in New Zealand. And, you know, a lot of those, as I mentioned, a lot of those decisions around um the typical training session um and what we did on the week was was kind of played out day by day based on on you know a lot of variables that we were experiencing and feeling around living at altitude and and being there so um once that settled down it was it was into the into work so was that subjective or were you measuring sort of hrv resting heart rate or other metrics like that to to sort of make those decisions on on the day-to-day basis it was pretty subjective to be honest and a lot of it was based around sleep it was like um yeah if, uh, there was, there's definitely a period there where both of us just just weren't sleeping or we weren't mm. getting weren't getting the sleep and, and we we're putting that down to just the change of of altitude and yeah we were through the period of of what should have been the change in time zones um and we still weren't getting getting the sleep and still awake at like 3 or 4 a.m. Um, so you can't go and turn around and do the training session that was lined up three days ago um, and consideration needs to be taken to that. So, yeah, they were all decisions that were made on the fly and, and again, fortunate enough to have uh, been there 
to to help make those decisions and um be be on deck basically yeah that yeah that's uh that's good you just got to had to adapt adapt to mm. what the body was telling you so now can you tell us about how the race unfolded maybe do a little bit, bit of a race report take us through a swim bike run race dynamics were you sort of racing the front of the age group race was the goal yeah, to be sure. overall age group ch- champion or was it just you know put your best race forward and see where that lands you you know maybe explain how it felt and then you know include sort of crossing the line uh, tell us about about that experience and the moment you kind of realized that you'd put together a race and uh, become a world champion yeah for sure i mean st george was a tough course like it was it was a typically a course that i had an experience before um it was a pretty cold swim uh the bike was horrendously up and down you know most i mean i've done is has been relatively flat or rolling this was definitely hilly and the run was was hilly again you know the only flat section was like four or five hundred meters out of t2 the rest was either up or down so um i was i definitely had a state of you know like not anxiety but i was definitely nervous about this race given the terrain that i was about to face um the confidence that i'd been there for you know two weeks beforehand on the bike course was was massive and i knew the course pretty well but at the same time um you still had to go out there and execute it so um that was that was definitely in the back of my mind going into the race um the swim was pretty pretty brutal to be honest i was my age group was like i think seventh or eighth wave back um so you could imagine there was like seven waves before mine that had already gone off um so for pretty much the entire swim you're swimming through uh you know prior waves that are that had gone off ahead of you so it was pretty messy and a bunch of sunstrike it wasn't like I just wanted to get out of there to be honest get some done and uh and get on the road um it was it was pretty awful and not that you notice it on the day but a lot of the swims that I'd had in that reservoir that same reservoir that we'd been practicing in um was cold like it was it was cold water um but yeah anyway the swim was a swim you got through it and um like i said it was just i was battling through um plenty of other swimmers beforehand and a lot of the age groupers that went before me were older uh age group waves so um there's definitely some older folk in there to to battle through so um but you know as an age group i see the swim as a swim that's a lot more important now racing as a pro um but it was just get out there and get it done uh transition well and and get on the bike and you know when i got on the bike i knew that i it was about writing a number for me um and that number was conservative conservatively around sort of 270 280 um and and going into the race again that 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 the goals that i had for this race were one and two they were set and and then the the rest followed pretty well and and that 270 280 was definitely a goal there and i knew that if i could ride that consistently for that course um i'd give myself a good opportunity of of being as far far close to the front of of that field as as i could be 
Um, and if there was someone there that was going to ride 300, well, they're always going to ride 300 and chances are they'll probably come out in front of me on the bike. So um, I guess on reflection um, with, with the bike, I started pretty well um, and it got to, you know, like I was riding through quite a lot of people initially and then got out the front of or towards the front where it was a little uh less congested um and i actually made the mistake a, a few times where i'd be riding along and i'd ride up to uh, another athlete or ride up to a group or a pack another age group pack and actually just sit in with them um and that wasn't achieving the goal that I'd set of, of riding numbers because I'd ride 270, 280, reach these guys and and uh, drop the power off by 20 or 30 watts. And all of a sudden I'm doing 240 or 250 watts. Um, so I'm not ticking that box. And I guess on reflection at that point in time, it's like, well, I've ridden up to them. I'm clearly riding either faster and, and stronger than them. So just carry on riding through um but i wasn't doing that for for a good period of time uh which yeah you that's what reflection's about right and um so yeah i i knew the course pretty well and and the hilly segments came up and there was a few climbs and then you get get through the latter part and you get into snow canyon um and uh, sort of looking at my numbers and i knew i i could afford to burn a few more matches um given my normalized was was down from where i wanted it to simply given off the fact that i that i just sat in on a couple of those packs and not ridden through them which i did right through them in the end but you know i should have done that immediately um so i pushed pretty hard in snow canyon snow canyon is like a uh, I forget how long the climb is, but it's um, it's probably like 15, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And I uh, pushed, you know, quite a lot more. I think I was sort of around uh, 3.30, 3.40, which is well above, I guess, the number of 270 and 280. And I uh, made some significant uh, time on, on some of the guys that I was around at that point in time. And I knew I was pushing pretty hard then. It was hot. Um, but I was okay with that, and it was definitely there was like 160k of the bike, um, <clears throat> and then let's see, came into T2. Um, the problem, the problem with you know, like I didn't know where I was on the in the field because there there was a rolling age group start, so someone that could have started half an hour before me. Um, could either you know could be in front of me on on time differential so um i couldn't see where i was actually positioned in the field uh being on the course and and you you don't get much feedback or data uh, on that bike course because uh either you're climbing and you don't see anyone or you're going down a hill and when you see a spectator you just you actually can't hear anything um so really the only bit of information that i got was kind of when i got onto the run and that's when i started getting some splits and some numbers as to where i was actually sitting uh in the field and i mean early on i can't actually recall what those splits were um i i know that i was like at least 10 minutes out 
um, and and something in like fourth place. So o- overall, and you know, the race was still unfolding in front of me with with a number of athletes. Just given the fact that that actually started before me, um, but like I said, it was it was definitely one of the hardest runs that I've done. Um, a lot of up, a lot of down. I'd spent a lot of time in NZ um, learning how to run downhill and actually being efficient in that space. Um, so I had that in the back of my head that that was definitely a win going into this race. Um, so actually being efficient when I was running down the hill was was something I was trying to use to my advantage. And um, I guess it wasn't until the latter part of of the uh i think it was about 5k to go of that run and i got some splits that you know i moved into second place and i was still i think it was like four or five minutes out from first um and first it actually already crossed the finish line so um his time was his time and it was basically a race against the clock and yeah, I just had to do everything that I could to try and um, close that differential and hopefully come out on the other side of it. Um, and I clearly remember running down, um, like you run back sort of down from a turnaround and into town, which is about 2K out. And uh, one of, well, I, guess I got a split from one of the guys and, um, yeah, he, he just said you like now is your time. You basically got no more road left. Um, you, you just need to crank things up. So I, if I look at I looked at my splits, I think I dropped under four minute case, um, which I needed to in that last segment of the run to to pull through. And um, he's yelling and screaming at me to to just maintain that because this guy had already finished. We knew his time, and if I had have run this time that I was running at the moment and, and could sustain that for the next two and a half K, then uh, I might just get him. So I think I got him by like 20 seconds in the end. And it, it was, it was literally so close. And uh, it was, it's just so hard to know when you're not racing that individual on the road, and it's all on time. Um, but yeah, crossing that finish line. And I guess just knowing that um, I did turn it up at the end there and it came through with, what was the win at that point in time because there were still other athletes on the course that that could do exactly what I did to that guy that had finished um yeah I just was quite conservative around actually let's just hold fire a little bit here and and wait for some uh, other athletes to get in because the same thing could happen to me yeah it must be a weird feeling I guess you know you put all of that in you know around eight and a half hours comes down to 20 seconds but then you've got to wait and see and wait for everyone else to finish. I guess that's one of the differences between pro and age group racing as well. Uh, well, mm. thanks for taking us through all that. Um, I'm just going to move on. I'm just mindful of the time. Uh, at what point did you make the goal of trying to race in the pro field? You mentioned earlier that when you were a top age grouper, you maybe had people criticizing you for not, um, not uh, taking the pro card and, starting to race in the pro field was, was it a personal set of criteria? Were you waiting to meet the criteria set out by triathlon New Zealand or others? I assumed you already, you would, you definitely would have already ticked that off. So 
Uh, you mentioned earlier that you had your reasons for that. Can you talk us through that next step and and those decisions? Um, and then ultimately, I guess the rest of that year, once you are now able to walk around and, and call yourself a world champion, um, and when you decided to go right, we're gonna we're gonna uh, give this pro thing a crack. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was a matter of time and sport for me. And as we've sort of alluded to in this podcast, I mean, I'm feeling new to it, and and there was a lot of learning to be done. I mean. Uh, I, I got a Kona slot off my 920 in Ironman New Zealand. So I had the opportunity to take that Kona slot. And I think I, I turned down three or four Kona slot, maybe three Kona slots before I accepted, you know, the one that I went to last year. Um, again, on the same principle and the same basis of why I didn't go pro after two years of age group racing. Um, it was just about... Well, it wasn't necessarily that I had to be an age group world champion before moving into pro. Um, it was about just going as far as I possibly could um, and enjoying the sport too. Um, you know, there's definitely an, an element of a different element of pressure moving into um, the pro field at the moment. Um, and not to say that there's not when when I was racing age group, but I think uh, there's a little less pressure there, if, if that kind of makes sense. Because um, you go to work and then you train outside of that. And um, it's, it's, it's not a hobby, but it's, it's something that you do a little bit more for the whole lifestyle. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of, I guess, the, the time that I, that I spent as an age group was was definitely um purposeful around you know making the most of every opportunity that i was presented with and and being flexible and i think it also comes down to you know like i still i still needed money i still needed employment i still needed to uh work and have income um and there's definitely that heightened risk of moving into the pro field and um, you sacrificed well I, I did a sacrifice what I was earning and a full-time job and career and security around that into actually a little bit more riskier side of things with um, what comes with the, the, the whole uh, financial side of things with with racing pro. So that's definitely was an element to it as well. Um, but but more so than anything it was about, uh, the performance side of things and, and learning there and being the best that I could be before making that transition into into the pro field. Mm, so you wanted to actually, if you're going to race in the pro field, you wanted to be able to dedicate time to train as a professional as opposed to continue to train the way you had been as an age grouper and then go and race in the pro field. And I think there's, um, yeah, I think that makes makes sense to do that. You You wanted to be able to go all in and I guess you'd had a taste of that with, with training with Braden for that period of time leading into St. George. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So before we wrap up, can you talk to us quickly about your coach? I understand you've worked with the same coach since you started Grant. Um, how did that come about? Cause you see, you guys seem to have a pretty good relationship. And if it's not a secret, can you share some of the specific approaches you employed? You mentioned earlier that you do a little bit of reverse periodization when there's a long period before the race so before you get into a race specific block preparing for the spe specific demands of a race uh, you do a lot of vo2 work 
Um, and from what I do know about you guys from listening to your podcast and and so on, I, it seems like you've got a few go-to sessions or series of sessions that that you use when you are in that race prep. Um, so say in the last eight to 12 weeks. So can you talk through um, a few of those things? Yeah, I mean, um, Grant and I have worked, you know, through this whole uh, this whole holiday journey uh, from when I started, and he's he's more than a coach to me. He's he's a mentor. He's um, he's a great mate, and he's just an all round fantastic human. And who who I am very fortunate enough to have in my corner, um, which which is just epic. So he. Um, yeah, he's got the science. He's got the. He was a. He used to race as a pro himself uh, back in back in his his day when he was doing triathlon. So he understands a lot of that as well. And he's also got a little bit of um, today's knowledge around um, you know the science and 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 whatnot that maybe he didn't have or that wasn't there or implemented so much um, back in his racing days. So. Um, I mean, the relationship is, it's phenomenal. I, I, I feel confident that I can reach out to him at any point uh, to run something past him. I mean, it's, it's, it's come a long way. Um, I'm in touch with him pretty often. He's in touch with me pretty often. And when I say that, it's like we're probably uh, every other day uh, we would communicate. Um, we have we clearly set goals within training and within racing um you know moving into this pro field we've, we've set specific goals as to what do we want to achieve this year and as a new as a new pro athlete what does that look like and how are we going to do that type thing so that that filters all the way down to training as well um i mean yeah we, we've sort of touched on the whole um training structure as such um we we do have some you know i I don't i think there's some non-negotiables around the kind of sessions that should be done moving into specifically a race that you've got coming up um and whether that's you know a brick session or a long run or or a high intensity run um but there's been an evolution of development that that we together have um you know that we've developed through that that time and as i say the training looks very different from our first um our first ironman build to let's say the one i've just gone through for for cans um there's a lot more load that i can tolerate now as an athlete the the intensity looks very different um some of the pacing and, and power numbers are again very different it's not to say that we we just up and turn all of those those systems up um it's a matter of how we can respond to those um so yeah i mean a typical week for me like it's probably easy just to run through that um this is into say, a race prep yeah into a race yep. prep let's say i man um you know like a monday is usually an easier day and when we say easier it's just definitely a lighter lighter training day so it might be um you know up to two to four two to four hours of just easy training uh, aerobic training swim could be a combination of swim bike and run it could just be a swim um tuesday i would have a brick session so it would be 
a pretty solid ride with, with race efforts in it and a run off at race pace. Um, and then we would back that up on a Wednesday with a long run. So you're running a long run on, on tired legs off Tuesday session. Um, and within that Wednesday training session, uh, sorry, Wednesday long run um, has got, again, uh, race pace or just above race pace efforts in it. Um, Thursday be a recovery day from those two days or again similar to Monday uh, then Friday we went into a key run session which is um, a little bit of VO2 work with some threshold then back into Ironman so it was kind of a three stage interval set and you roll through that a number of times so it was like a minute at a minute at 320, dial it off to straight into three minutes at uh, 330 pace and then back to Ironman pace for, say, eight minutes um, between 350 and four minutes. And you'd cycle through that, you know, week one of the training block, you'd cycle through that, say, three times. And then by uh, week eight of the training block, you're, you're, you're rolling through that five times. So um you're getting some duration in that as well um saturday would be a long easy um ride um nothing more than sort of four and a half five hours uh and then sunday would be uh, a threshold session uh with an easy runoff and that threshold session would be on the trainer on the bike um and scattered amongst that is is obviously swimming and and just easy swim bike and run through that as well and top that up to your to your overall training load so i mean we've definitely got our go-tos but um as i say there's been an evolution of change throughout time and and i think that that needs to be if you repeat the same thing over and over you're only going to be as good as you were if that makes sense so to to be better things do need to change and you, you need to make changes based on um you know your evolution of fitness is that hopefully increases it seems to be a theme that you you just continue to layer on so you've got your go-tos as you said you've got a, a similar structure and a bit of almost a bit of a template but then mm. within that the details and the specifics within within the, the sessions have continued to progress and evolve over time as as you've progressed and evolved as an athlete so i understand you're doing some coaching now as well are there any key things, say two or three, that Grant does for you that you strive to do for your athletes? Yeah, um, I, I mean, what I base my coaching sort of philosophy around is is trust and communication. Like, uh, and and that's what that's what Grant gives me, um, and not necessarily those two pillars, but I think it stems from that. Like, you know, I trust in the conversations that we have and 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 the guidance and. I know that he's got my back and um, I know that nine times out of 10, I can pick up the phone and I'll have a response from him or, or we communicate pretty well. Right. And, and I, I think that's kind of what I try and stem my coaching relationship on with athletes that I work with. It's like, they want someone in their corner. Um, and, and I openly tell them I, like I'm not an expert in every single field. I can't help you with everything, but I think together uh, the two of us athlete and coach, um, I think we can come up with something that's pretty, um, you know, better than one of us. And, and um, 
if I can be a part of their journey for, for an age group of that is a investing their time to achieve the goals that they want to, um, then I think it's only fair that they've got someone in their corner being responsive, uh, being adaptable and, you know, just caring about their, their journey, so to speak, you know, it's not real. It's, it can't be a copy and paste. Uh, type program it's got to be adaptable to to that individual and suit that individual's needs um, you know everyone's got different things going on in their lives they've, they they work different jobs they've, they've got different relationships at home than, than some some other people and they've got they might have more kids than other people and, and and all of those things are definitely considerations amongst the training program that that are so so important so I think um that's just something that I, I strive for. And yeah, like I say, the coaching relationship that I have with, with my athletes is, is understanding that individual and adapting accordingly and, and hopefully uh, being or being privileged enough to be within their process of them achieving their goals. I think it's underestimated to just simply have someone in your corner and that care factor. I think it's a wildly underestimated part of what coaching and being a good coach is all about. So finally, yeah. what does the next 12 months look like for you? What really motivates you and drives you from this point forward? Yeah, uh, it's sort of the same goals that we've set out for the start of this year as a new new pro is, is to really just get some experience racing uh, in a pro field and in different pro fields. And so we've got another Ironman on the cards the end of August. Um, we're going to go to Ironman Canada and then we'll come back to the side and um, tackle some 70.3s and, and just get in the mix of being involved with different, uh, you know, decision-making processes that um, you can't get anywhere else other than a race. And, um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much the next that'll see us through till till the end of the year and um and then sort of yeah with our eyes on the Kona qualification for for next year love it awesome i look forward to following along and, and seeing how you go well thanks matt i've thoroughly enjoyed this and really appreciate you coming on so uh thank you awesome mate great to connect and uh yeah privilege thank you for, for having me Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I have always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We'll speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.